Well, good morning again to Seneca Community Church. It's great to have you here in person, braving a little bad weather out there. And for those of you joining us online, we're glad that you can be with us that way also. Uh, we're getting ready for Christmas by going back and looking at some of the things we might call are the ghosts of Christmas past. And really, during the Christmas season, everything gets geared up. There's more energy, and yes, there's a little more stress. And because of that, some of the things in our past, maybe some of the things that cause us to walk with a limp emotionally and spiritually, just come to the surface a little bit easier because we're wound up a little bit more during this season. And so we're trying to um, downshift on that. We're trying to take a look at that so those things don't uh, really come to the surface and break through the surface so that we're actually kind of understanding why we respond and why we react in the ways we do. So as we're thinking about this, last week we talked about the idea of offendability, and I know that's not really a word, but we're using it, offendability, how easily we can be offended. Uh, sometimes they are big, deep, heavy-hearted things, and uh, we've got to kind of process through that because when we're easily offended or we're offended because of something that happened in the past and it's not been kind of dealt with, it bubbles to the surface and it takes our joy and takes the joy of those around us. So we looked at that in part one, and uh, we're going to continue on today by looking at the ghosts of Christmas past dealing with shame. And all of us have some things that uh, caused us a little bit of shame in the past, maybe when we were growing up. And uh, I'm going to blame this one on my mother. Uh, here we go. This is a little bit of a walk of shame in some ways or embarrassment or humiliation to some degree. Boy, you're going, what is he going to show us? But, you know, the old family pictures. And, uh, yeah, you can see me in the white turtleneck. I do have my eyes closed because what's happening is totally unbearable. And so you've got those, and then it even gets worse. You've got the situation where all of a sudden mom's dressing us in matching whatever that is, that gold. I don't know what that is. Mom, why did you do that to us? And uh, Dad, I love the hair. Well, if we all go back and think about things in our past, uh, probably most of us can think of that first time that you and I uh, had a time where we really were conscious of being, uh, you know, shamed and feeling bad and all of that. And, and my first remembrance of this goes all the way back to some place called A&P. And this basically looks almost like exactly like the one that was in my hometown in Ipswich. And this is like the big M of the day back then. And uh, we went in there. My mom and I were doing errands. I don't know where everybody else was. And we were on the way to check out and uh, I all of a sudden saw these bad boys, and I wanted some of those lifesavers. And I looked to my mom, and I said, Ma, can I have some lifesavers? And without even, without even a hesitation, it was just, no. Maybe not that hard, but it was a no. And uh, so I put them in my pocket. Oh, no. So we're driving home a little while down the road, and all of a sudden I'm eating lifesavers in the back seat. And being the polite son I am, I offered my mother a lifesaver. <laughs> Not too smart, huh? What am I doing? Come on. So, uh, you know, somehow they ended up in my pocket. She said, where'd you get those? They came from my pocket. All of a sudden, uh, for those of us uh, who are a little bit older, do you remember what this sound is? 
That's the directional signal going on to the car. They were much more pronounced, and, and all of a sudden we're pulling over, and the big wagon is turning around, and we're heading back to uh, the AT&T, and all of a sudden I'm told that when you get to that store, I'm walking in with you, and we're going to find the manager, and you're going to tell him what you've done. Oh, my. I could feel my face turning red, and I don't know who was more embarrassed, uh, me or the manager, when I came up to him. He probably was like 25 years old or something. But anyway, I was like five or six and uh, got to them, explained what I had done, and my mother must have, my mother made me turn in the rest of the life savers and pay for them, and uh, on our way we went. Uh, so I'm sure you can think of one of those times where you felt uh, some shame. And, uh, you know, those kinds of shames dissipate. That kind of shame did. I, I Fortunately, my parents really never brought it up again. But uh, I did notice that every time uh, we would, like, go shopping, they would leave me in the car. But uh, anyway, that's, those weren't the days that was okay to do. But uh, anyway, so, but what do you do when you have shame in your life that you don't seem you can get free from? When you have that scenario you were a part of, uh, maybe it was something that was done to you, maybe it was something that you did to yourself in a sense, and it just holds on and you can't be free from it. What do you do with that? How do you process through? How do you uh, work it out? And if you can say you can work it out. Well, this morning, that's what we're going to be talking about, and we're going to go back and look at the shepherds, and we're going to see that uh, the shepherds uh, kind of owned the shame, and this shame went with them everywhere they went. Uh, shepherds uh, weren't well-liked in Jesus' day or around the birth of Jesus. If you go all the way back to uh, Old Testament, you remember Cain and Abel, uh, first uh, murder was around uh, shepherds versus uh, agricultural uh, farming kind of a thing. There was this tension going on. You go a little farther forward, and you know the story of Joseph with the many colors. And uh, you, we talked a little bit about that. You know what happens with him. And uh, when he's being put in a position to deliver his family, and they're all moving up to Egypt, down to Egypt, as they say, which seems to be up. But anyway, they were moving over to Egypt, and uh, when they got there uh, and uh, Joseph was kind of giving them the kind of cultural rules, he just reminded them that uh, shepherds uh, were detestable. And so that was kind of that idea. And then later on, we see the, the, uh, the, the value of shepherding going up a little bit when uh, David becomes king and he was the shepherd and he shepherds his people well with wisdom and integrity. But then we start to see it drop off again. And uh, we see that society just did not accept these shepherds. And somewhere along the way, if you were in the process of buying something from a shepherd, there was a little saying that went along with that, that it was probably you were probably receiving stolen goods because they were just uh, not uh, well-liked. And they were, uh, you know, in Jesus' terminology, sometimes you hear these ideas of these tax collectors and sinners bad people, and that's where the, the shepherds are. And so the shepherds had this shame. Some of it was because of their behavior, and some of it was because it was just put on them. And so as we see the Christmas story begin to unfold and break forth, we see that 
some interesting things. It's a surprise how the shepherds lean into this story. So we're going to look at Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. I'm going to read out of the King James Version because that kind of has the rhythm of those of us who grew up hearing the Christmas story kind of have the feel for that. And so we'll start in verse 8. And there was in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, about them, and they were sore afraid. Anytime we see an angel come on the scene, usually it's a shocker. When sometimes we see those pictures of angels, you know, around Christmas, they're all nice and sweet and everything that. When an angel comes into the room, into the sky, it's like, whoa. Sometimes people's response was to worship, and they would say, no, 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 don't do that. I'm just an angel. But there's this idea of, again, awesomeness. They were afraid. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass that the angels were gone away from them into heaven. The shepherds said to one another, let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to us, come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. Surprise. The angels didn't go to the inn people. They didn't go to the king. They didn't go to the religious leaders. They went to these shepherds who wore the garment, not literally, but wore the garment of shame. And so there's a strong message being sent to all of us, even these 2,000 years later. No matter what your perceived shame your real shame you and I wear, God comes into us. He looks to us and wants to relieve us from the heaviness of whatever that sin is. And some of us have this just below the surface. Some of us have this shame deep down inside, and it's still there. And God doesn't want us to be captive by this shame. That's why this little baby born in a manger some 30 plus years later will give his life as the perfect sacrificial lamb. The forgiveness of our sins to make everything right and also to relieve any of that shame that you and I may have in our hearts. Later on, the writer of Luke who wrote Luke and Acts, it used to be one complete book wanted to set the record straight, Luke was a doctor, he writes this. At, the time Je- at, the t- at that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise in their own eyes, learned know-it-alls, proud and revealed them to the humble, little children, 
innocent newcomer. Yes, Father, it pleased you to do all to do it this way, the very way you have chosen to extend your kingdom to give to those who become like trusting children. And this whole idea is that it is a surprise. So I hope you can slow down in these moments and realize that whatever shame you might feel like you still carry, you can be free from that. Whatever that thing is, whatever that circumstances is, God has given his son. We remember it at Christmas time. We celebrate the giving of his son at Easter and his resurrection. He has done that so you and I don't have to live under the weight of shame. And as we think of those shamed shepherds, there's three ideas just to think about briefly. First of all, these shepherds felt unloved. And often you and I can feel unloved. We can feel unloved by those around us. We can feel unloved by, uh, you know, just society. And we can feel unloved by God. But those angels coming to the shepherds were saying, you are loved. You are cared for. I take you where you are at. I don't want to leave you there. He wants us to grow, but that growth doesn't affect his level of love for us. He takes us where we're at and wants us to become fully engaged in life and have that abundant life as best we can in this chapter of this book. So the shepherds felt unloved. They experienced this regularly. Uh, It was said even shepherds in a lot of settings weren't allowed to go into the regular worship services of the day because of they just were considered unclean. And so we can take that away and say we don't have to buy into that idea. Um, The shepherds also felt unworthy. They felt, you you know, anyone else but us. But on that night, when those angels show up, that is dispelled. God says, you are worthy. I love you. I'm going to make you worthy through the gift of my son. But you don't have to stay in the shadows, around the edges, when it comes to a relationship with God. No matter what you've done, what is perceived, what is real, you don't have to let that feeling of unworthiness that's tied to shame hold you back. I don't know how you feel about life, but there's times where we feel unworthy. When we look at who we are and uh, how we function, uh, we just could feel really bad about ourselves. And uh, we see our disobedience. We see our selfishness. Sometimes it, it, it manifests itself it shows itself and we're like "Ooh, did i do that did i think that and we feel that unworthiness and the angels coming to those uh, shepherds were saying don't let that unworthiness cause you to lean away rather have that unworthiness cause you to lean in told you about my friend uh, who i was just talking with him about things of the Lord. He was coming to church regularly. And um, 
finally we sat down and I talked about, uh, would you ever like to say yes to Jesus? Would you ever like to ask God into your heart? Would you like to, you know, experience that forgiveness? And uh, he said, I really would like to do that. I want to, I want to own my faith. I want to follow Christ. But I, but I just, I'm, I'm hesitant because I need to clean up some things in my life first before I say yes to God. And I explained to my friend, I said, no, 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 that's it. He's going to do that work in your heart. Um, I, I, appre- I, I, I really appreciated that he thought that. I appreciated that he, that he wanted to be, quote, unquote, worthy. But I said to my friend, I said, there's nothing you or I, no person can do that makes them worthy. It's what Christ is. But don't let that cause you to stay away. Some of us, uh, that's the way reason we've stayed away. Some of us have said yes to Christ in the past. And uh, we're still, in a sense, staying away after that because we see this in our life and we have trouble coming to terms with that. But the shepherds felt that way and the angels came to say, don't let that keep you from God. And likewise, don't let that keep you from God. Uh, Yes, have remorse, you know, be be uh, you know aware of where you're out of alignment with how God would have you to live, but know that that out of alignment doesn't affect his love for you. At the same time, that means you shouldn't be careless with the love he has for you. You shouldn't uh, kind of trample over, well, God loves me no matter what, so I'm going to do no matter what. That, that, that's not what we're talking about here. If you've really said yes to Christ, your heart should be inclined to live in a way that pleases him because you're so excited about the love you've experienced from him. You're so excited about the relationship you have with him that you don't want to have anything uh, kind of create uh, static on the line of being close and being aware of God's presence. Also, um, the shepherds felt inadequate. Uh, They didn't feel they just had it together enough. And sometimes you and I can feel like that. We feel like we just, we're inadequate, we're incompetent, we, we just can't, we can't pull it off, so that causes us to, to step back. Um, Craig Cruchel uh, has made some of this material available to us with local churches, and he tells a story of uh, just, just never feeling that he's enough. And uh, I, could, I, could, I could relate to that, not feeling that I'm enough. That, uh, you know, I just, I just can't, I just don't have it enough together to be enough. And uh, sometimes you may notice that uh, I have trouble pronouncing words every once in a while, and that's because I have a disability. And, uh, and sometimes I'm so, I get so embarrassed about that, and sometimes you may not realize this, I do actually practice some of those words, and I just, the more I practice it, the worse it gets. And that's embarrassing. And sometimes I can think of a, a better, uh, more specific word, and it has, it has better clarity, and because it's a little bit harder to pronounce, I can't, I can't pull it up. I, I hear it in my mind, but I just I can't say it, so I skip and use a, a lesser word sometimes. And uh, so, you know, you have to push through those things. All of us have that kind of thing where we show up at the foot of Jesus and say, I'm not enough. And he says, you don't have to worry about that. Because he is enough, more than enough. He is adequate where we're inadequate. And we can just go, wow, that is, that is fantastic. 
So the shepherds, the shepherds had this shame. And you and I can have a shame. Maybe it's the way we've treated somebody. Maybe it's the things we've done. And if we're not careful, again, we can let that shame become a barrier that isn't meant to be a barrier. There's this story, and I can't remember what kind of fish, but if you have a fish tank and uh, you have uh, put a glass, plexiglass divider in between the two sides, and you put the fish on one side, and uh, you leave that divider in there, those fish will bang into it, bang into it, bang into it, and eventually they, they know there's a barrier there, even though they can't see it. And then you can pull that plastic see-through glass barrier out, and the fish will still not go past where that barrier was. They're trapped in there. In a sense, that's what Christ does for us. He removes the barrier so we can have this relationship with God. And some of us are so used to the barrier being there that we stop there. And even though we can go past the barrier, we don't go to the barrier. You see, we've bought into this lie that uh, Christ's love for us, God's love for us, is based on ourselves or is based on himself. So don't let inadequacies hold you back. So then when we think about shame and we think about what to do about it, I, I think at some level it's good that we don't feel great about something we may have done in the past, but we, we need to process that through. So, you know, sometimes you and I need to let that happen. We need to identify it, and we need to experience guilt and conviction and say, I did bad. That's a part of the process. That conviction is a good thing. Those of us uh, who have Christ in our life, who have the Holy Spirit, who come into our life and, and, and speaks to our hearts, conviction's a good thing. It's a warning system. And so that, that is a good thing to have in our life. It's good to identify, I did something bad, I did something wrong. But what can happen is we can let that go too far and turn into shame and say, I am bad. And we, we, we don't want to go there. Because then that shame starts to own us. The, the shepherds, again, uh, you know, some of their business practices, not all shepherds, but a good amount of them would, you know, bait and switch kinds of things. And so they did something bad, and then they bought into this idea that they were bad. And uh, we need to make sure that we look at our life, and as we see these things that we're convicted of, the conscious is aware of it, that we say, yeah, we identify that was behavior I need to change. God needs to help me change that, but, but I, I need to see that change. But we don't want it to come to the place where we say, wait a minute, I am bad. And we live uh, a defeated life because of that. We want to stay away from that. Um, Isaiah says this, fear not, you will no longer live in shame. Don't be afraid. There is no more disgrace for you. You will no longer remember the shame. And the idea is that, yes, the people of Israel at times would go as far from God as they could, and they had this shame. And Isaiah is speaking towards this coming Messiah that would deliver them from that shame, and they could be free from that shame. They didn't need to let shame connect uh, your actions to your identity. 
you can break through that with God's help in your life. You don't have to be stuck there. Sometimes when we think about this idea in counseling, we call this shame-based thinking. We look at some things that we've done and we say, that's who I am. I can't break through that. Sometimes somebody will use that as an excuse. You know, they'll say, oh, that's who I am. That's just what I've done. That's the way God made me. Well, isn't that clever? <laughs> you know, my behavior, since God made me that way, I can get away with that. And, and, uh, or we just say that's who we are. Well, Christ came to, to free us from that. When we're thinking about this, we realize we are vulnerable to perfectionism. We attempt to silence our shame with error-free living or performance and find it difficult to admit failure. So sometimes when we're processing this through, we say, oh, you know, I, I'm a, I don't want to identify with this. And then we think we need to be perfect and we won't deal with the things that aren't perfect in our life. And we just kind of hide it and keep it deep down within ourselves and we won't admit our failure. That, that's not the right, right response to this. Also, sometimes we use self-defeating thoughts as a form of protection and escape. We focus on the worst possible outcome, sabotaging our opportunities in our relationships. And, uh, you know, we've all met folks that, in a sense, uh, sabotage their relationships. It, it just goes so far, and, and we see it in somebody else's life, but we don't always necessarily see it in our lives. And we just see a wake of this kind of thing because we've owned the shame and because we're, we're not uh, letting ourselves uh, be free of it. Uh, we're also critical ourselves, making us critical of others. We, f we see our faults mirrored in others. We become judgmental of others and perceived as self-righteous or arrogant. And uh, sometimes, you know, I've, I've definitely experienced this where I, in a sense, see my failures, my weaknesses, my sin, and then I see it in somebody else's life, and I kind of give them a harder time because of that. With my kids, sometimes I would see them acting like me, and I would be a little harder on them because I knew where that was going. And sometimes they would say, why are you so hard on me on this issue? It's like, because I know what it's like to, uh, in a sense, let that rule the roost, and I don't want to repeat that. David's brother, one of his older brothers, when David went down with Goliath and David's scenario, uh, Jesse, his father, sends him down to uh, bring some food to them uh, on the battlefield. And when his uh, brother sees him, his first reaction is, I know why you're here. Why am I here? You're here to watch the blood and guts. You're just here to see the battle. You're just here to, you know, this is like TV. You're just going to sit up there and watch, see what happens. And David's like, what are you talking about? I'm here because dad sent and da 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 da, da. Now I'm hearing this and now I'm going, why won't anyone step up against this and Goliath and all this? But that's not the reason I came. But the brother's like, you came for that reason. That might have been the reason why. He, the older brother, would have come to the battlefield. But that wasn't the reason why David came. Sometimes you and I fill in the blanks of other people's lives, and, and we say, wow, if I was doing that, this is why I would be doing that. So that's the reason they must be doing that. 
and sometimes that's accurate and sometimes that's not. We need to be very aware of that. When it comes to all of these ideas and it comes to this idea of who we are and how we integrate that and how we don't let shame own us, but we also understand and identify what's going on in our life, I remind you of what Peter says in 1 Peter, so be content with who you are. So there is a place where you say, my inadequacy, some of that's my wiring. I cannot get my personal pronunciation of some words better. I've tried and tried and tried and can't do it. It just I'm stuck, so I have to be okay with that. I'm not going to be as eloquent when it comes to some of those words. And don't put on airs at the same time. God's strong hand is on you. He'll promote you at the right time. Live carefree before God. He is most careful with you. So when you think of these shepherds and you think of the shame that they had, they were shepherds. Most of these shepherds were not going to stop being shepherds. They were shepherds. That's, that's what they did. So be okay with that. Be okay with that. At the same time, don't, don't get pumped up. Remember, God's hand is on you. He'll, he'll use you how he sees fit to use you at the right time. So what do you need to do? Not be careless before God, but be carefree before God. Know that he loves you where you're at, and he's going to yet take you to other places in your life, but he loves you where you're at. You don't have to earn his love because he's most careful with you. So when we think of guilt, when we think of conviction, when we think of owning that shame and making it saying, this is who I am, either I've done something wrong, now I am wrong, that's my whole identity, we need to realize that we have this relationship with God where he's designed it so that we can come to him at any time and say, hey, I'm sorry. And that sorry goes a little farther than just feeling bad about being caught. That sorry is, I'm going to try to adjust the way I respond to the world around me. And when you and I find ourselves responding to uh, the, the focus of shame, we're going to find that limp touches everything. So, so, so respond, understand who you are, come to get that forgiveness. When your uh, response to something doesn't fit what's going on and you kind of do some inventory and you say, wow, this is because my heart has a little uh, rewiring that needs to be done. I, I'm, I'm reacting instead of responding. Realize you can ask forgiveness and he will help you take the next step. First John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, God will forgive us. We can trust God to do this. He always does what is right. He will make us clean from all the wrong things we have done. So the question we have to ask ourselves, or are we still believing? Are you still believing? Are we still believing we are something that God says we or you are not? Are we owning that shame? Are we saying, I'm not forgiven? I don't have a right relationship with God because what Christ has done for us. Do we take those thoughts and, and, and catch them in our mind before they define us? Paul writes this. He says, we demolish arguments and every pretense that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Sometimes when I'm talking with someone, sometimes when I'm talking with myself, in a sense, 
I have to take those thoughts captive. I have to go, wait a minute, that is not true. Christ died for that thing. That, that, that thing I did that was just mean and nasty, even after I said yes to Christ, I acted that way. That, that, uh, he, he says, you're forgiven. Take that thought captive. Don't live owned by shame. Demolish those thoughts. Some of us need to take this verse and, uh, you know, and post it somewhere on our steering wheel or our mirror to continue to remind ourselves that when we own this shame and aren't free from it, Christ is saying that, that that's, that's something we shouldn't be doing. That, that's, a, that's a thought that is in error. Also, we need to think about this. The only way to heal from shame is to move the focus from what I'm not to who Christ is. We have this identity with Christ. When we get baptized and the symbolicness of it is all this, I am died and buried and resurrected with Christ. He looks at us, God looks at us through Christ's holy life. And then we spend the rest of our life trying to get the way we live getting a little bit better. Not to earn our way, but to celebrate that God loves us and wants us a part of his life. And we can be a part of life with him. I love Ephesians 1.11 from the message paraphrase. It is in Christ that we find out who we are and what we are living for. Not our stuff not our quote-unquote positions, not our power, not all whatever that is. It's in him we find out who we are and what we're living for. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, he had his eye on us, had his design on us for glorious living, part of the overall purpose he is working out in everything and every person. So, you see, Shame-based thinking. This leads us into Christ-based thinking. So we have to ask ourselves when we're thinking what Christ-based thinking is, how we take those thoughts captive, we need to realize you are not your past. If we were to share the mic around, some of us have pretty tough pasts. We're not our past. Christ has forgiven us. You are not what you did. You're not that. You're past that. You are not what someone did to you. Talking to someone and uh, the shame of what someone has done for them. That, that, that's, that's not them. Don't, don't own that to yourself. You, you, can be, you can work through being free from that so it doesn't own you in every fiber and level of your life. Yes, some of those things take time, but you don't have to live there. You are not who others think you are. The shepherds, they were not to be who others thought they were. They were free from that. The angels came to them, the lowest rung in the social scheme of things, in Israel. That's who the angels came to. You're not who you think you are when those things own you. You are who Christ says you are. You're his. 
the grace-based thinking has a couple things, and you don't need to write these right down, but I'd love you to think about this throughout your week and try to digest what we talked about. Grace-based thinking, you need to ask yourself, I am not this. What would you write in there? I am not this. Maybe, maybe you've gotten caught in some lies and they've destroyed parts of your life. I'm not a liar. I'm not going to be that. I'm going to be something else. And then because of Christ, I am a truth teller. See the switch? Paul talks about other places in Scripture, talks about putting off, putting on. You can't live in a vacuum. You can't take a, a action out of your life and then not put something in to replace it. Or the vacuum gets filled up a lot of times with the same kind of stuff. You need to stop doing one action and start doing another action. I like to joke about this a little bit because I'm guilty of this when it comes to food. If you don't stop eating, you need to replace it with something else. And instead of eating a lot of potato chips, eat something healthy. Last night, I did this the one time. I wanted something else. And I got two tangerines and ate the two tangerines instead of eating what I really wanted to eat. Mm, it wasn't that bad. So I'm not this, but because of Christ, I am this. And uh, we, we replace that uh, around. We replace that. We switch that so that that is not uh, where we are stuck. Romans 5.2 says this. And you can take a look at this. You can look at this. If you've not said yes to Christ, if God's not a part of your life, you can see yourself in this verse. And for those of us who have said yes to Christ, we can see some applications for our life too. We throw open our doors to God and discover at the same moment he has already thrown open his door to us. We find ourselves standing where we were always hoped we might stand, out in the wide open spaces of God's grace and glory standing tall and shouting our praise. You see, you think that uh, we're opening the door. We find that the door is already open. Probably, I don't know, maybe it was 25 years ago, something like that. It might have been longer than that. Uh, yeah, it was definitely was longer than that, more like 30 years ago. Uh, we were having Thanksgiving at my parents' house in Massachusetts. And uh, they were building a new chapel, which was like this mommish thing at uh, Gordon College. And my dad was uh, teaching part-time there after he retired from public school teaching. And so he was teaching there. So we all thought, hey, you know, we're full. It's going to explode. We need to get out of the house and do something. Let's go over there and look at that new chapel that they're building. So we got over there and, you know, still under construction, but there were doors on it and all of that. And we went up to one of the doors and we jiggled it. It was open. Hey, let's go inside. Let's look around. This is great. We're looking around. Places probably we're not supposed to be. So we say, let's go upstairs. And we go upstairs. Oh, what's up here? Oh, the balcony, blah, blah, blah. Oh, what's this? This looks like an office suite. And we go in this office suite and we go, wow, this must be where the dean of the chapel's going to hang out. And, and da, 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 da. And as we're in there, all of a sudden the door snaps. the door and we realize the 
build blocks. We need to stop and redeem what the calf has done. And it was Thanksgiving weekend, well, it was Thanksgiving Day. No one is there trying to look at the windows and see, are these windows supposed to open or not supposed to open? But uh, we're in there, and Dad was not happy at all <laughs> that we had done this. And uh, we are starting to panic. And it must have been the day before cell phones because we didn't have, couldn't call out. Um, and we were stuck in this office. Uh, I mean, and the tension, you talk about uh, stuff rising to the top. You know, it was getting pretty, my brother, my dad, and I in there. And uh, just out of, just figured I'd try the door one more time. Pulled on it, and it hadn't latched. It was locked, but it hadn't latched. So I pushed it back and go say, "Oh, it is locked now." No, I pulled it, and and we got out. The door was unlocked. The door is unlatched. It's shut. But if we had one more, like I don't know how much or more, if that little tongue had stuck in there, we were stuck in there, and we, you know, we would have been there forever. So um, we'd still be there right now. But. Uh, the same way when it comes to God. You may think the door is shut because of who you are, what you've done, and it isn't. When you pull on it, you're going to start thinking, can I unlock the door for you? And friend, if you've already said yes to Christ, you consider yourself a Christian, but you've drifted away and you think now you've kind of settled for God's 10th best, not second best, third best, but 10th best for your life. I challenge you, if you pull on that door, you're going to find that what you think is locked is open because he has already closed the door for you. When someone says, shame on you, like the people said regarding the shepherds, God says, shame. Heavenly Father, we just uh, thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for the story of the shepherds. We thank you for the way they looked like just broken, needy, warped people. Yet you sent an announcement of your son's birth to them. That gives us all hope. Would we leave this place this morning in that hope? If there's someone who's never said yes to you, would even in this moment they find that that door is not latched, but is open, even though it seems shut. And for those of us who have taken a few steps away from you, we ask that we would see the same thing, that you're not finished with us, you're not done with us. The door at first glance may seem locked, but it's not locked. We thank you.